0: Welcome to A Life in Film. If you enjoyed this episode, please review and share this podcast. It makes a huge difference. Or also on Patreon, TikTok and Instagram if you'd like to support us and get more content. Thank you. Our guest today, actor Sam Jager, is possibly best known for playing Mark Tulio in the multi-award winning Handmaid's Tale. He also played Joel in the hugely popular TV series Parenthood he's worked with some of the greats, including Clint Eastwood multiple times on American Sniper and Bloodwork, and Paul Thomas Anderson on Inherent Vice. Not only that, in 2011, he also wrote and directed his first feature film, Take Me Home. Our guest today is actor Sam Jager.
1: It's a life and fail, it's a life and fail.
0: Sam, thanks so much for coming on. I, seeing your career and the things that you've done is something that I really want to emulate. And mm. I'm really interested in hearing how this this whole process and how this whole like passion for acting, and, and so you've done directing, written as well, um, how that all started and where that passion came from.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think uh, I was drawn to it uh, as a kid but didn't really think much about it being a career until... Uh, until in seventh grade i auditioned for the drama club or the drama class uh you had to audition to get into this class in at, at perrysburg middle you know uh, junior high school and um and I, I i did like some sort of limerick that my dad gave me i just recited some sort of funny poem that my dad found for me um but it was enough to garner the attention of uh Heather Stefango, who was the prettiest girl in eighth grade, uh, and so I, for for a, about five seconds, uh, I was I was the most popular kid in school, and I thought, wow, if acting can do this, I mean, you know. And then of course she talked to me and met me, and that was that was the end of that relationship. But for that, you know, infinite you know, infinitely small moment, uh, I thought, wow, uh, I might be okay at this. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, I love doing it. And uh, I think, you know, having a career in acting is difficult because it is uh, so much based on confidence and uh, building, kind of tricking yourself into believing in yourself every single day. You know, an accountant Mm -hmm. probably doesn't wake up in their forties and think, can I account, can I account? But we do every single day. We have to make a choice. Am I going to keep at this? You know, it's like you're, you're building a relationship with yourself every single day. Um, I like to say that uh, any relationship you're either going further in or further out of. And, uh, so it's always, you know, like my marriage to my wife, it's always a decision I make. Um, you know, we both make the choice to go deeper and deeper in love with each other. And that takes a shit ton of work. Um, Mm. but just like, you know, and and like my, my, my acting career is a, is a, uh, a difficult balance. It's a belief in myself and the, the belief that I have to, that I can contribute something. Um, Mm. and that, uh, you know i have to keep believing that because the opposite is um is dark <laughs> it's <laughs> no, really for dark sure. so for sure. you know yeah what's the you know it's, it's uh, what choice do you have
0: mm-hmm. i mean you have worked with some of the best and i'm trying to think of the people that you've actually worked with that would have obviously been around when you started your career say like people like Clint yeah. Eastwood um oh, yeah. you know if you told you know a young a young Sam when he was you know, ten years old that you would be had done several films with with someone like clint eastwood what what do you reckon you would have thought about as a as a
1: kid? Uh, I, w- I would have thought of course, I was <laughs> so cocky, you know, and I mm. think it's I think it's my ideal nature that uh, has kept me in this because if it was mm. If I were a pessimist, I don't think pessimists last long in in any artistic venture. You know, you just have to say, you know, you can be. Uh, there are pessimistic artists that are pessimistic about the world, but uh, you know, um, and 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 to like I said, that you struggle to be pessimistic about your own career. But I, I think I was just so um, enamored with the idea with the daydream of being a movie star at uh at 18 and i held on mm-hmm. to that for so long and uh i don't necessarily want to be a movie star but i'd i'd love to have um you know i'd love to keep all the opportunities coming and i think mm-hmm. being uh recognized for work is part of that so yeah
0: 100 percent, 100 percent. That's something where I think, um, you know, to be anything in this industry, whether a director, writer, producer, actor, you do have to, especially when you start out, you have to have a greenness, like a a mm-hmm. kind of a, a real, you have to be a dreamer, essentially. Um, right. And that's the hard bit, isn't it? Keeping that dream alive, you know, when it gets tough and it gets hard and you've been doing it for years and and keeping that going. And obviously you've been in the industry. I mean, you started, was it the late 90s? Like your first sort of Yeah, it was 19-
1: 19... And- 1999 i got my first gig which was um law and order the very original law and order back in the day and i was still in uh i was interning in new york but i was um still at sc- in enrolled at school at uh, Otterbein uh university in ohio and so i i just uh yeah i lucked you know i lucked into that so um be- but because because of my internship um I was able i graduated early because i thought you know I, I think i'd like to just you know i i think i'm done with school i've done enough school and i my dad helped me kind of graduate early so that in fall of what would have been my senior year of college i went straight to new york and because they knew i wasn't going back they hired me on full-time as a reader at abc's uh primetime casting office rosalie joseph Um, is still there and um, just those ladies um, at ABC were so supportive and uh, uh, one woman in particular Esther Swan who was one of the assistants there you know set me up with agents and said hey um, you know uh, basically lied for me this guy got really close to a couple of really big jobs here at ABC I think you should send him out for auditions and luckily I uh, the agencies that sent me out, uh, I booked shortly, like law and order, I think was my third audition after they started sending me out. So wow. that was affirmation for them. And it kept me, you know, it kept me going. So yeah. well, that's
0: what you need is not that you need, well, you hope that you're going to come along, to, it's going to champion you and, and, and back you and push you forward. And it sounds like that person was that for you. Did you yeah. have uh, with your, with your parents and coming into this industry, was there any sort of, um, have they got any sort of uh, background in the industry? Was there anything that kind of inspired you from them at all? Or is it completely left field? You kind of got interested in this completely separately.
1: Yeah, it was left field. My 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 father was an accountant and a lawyer and my mom was a nurse. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I loved what, uh, but I loved it as a kid. I loved watching it. I loved watching comedy. My parents... Um, my parents let us watch stuff that I don't think I would let my children watch. (laughs) Uh, so, you know, maybe by accident or kind of cluelessness, you know, I think the rating system hadn't really developed in the eighties until after Indiana Jones and the temple of doom. So, you know, we were just watching, you know, horribly bloody and, uh, you know, but, but really funny stuff, you know? Eddie Murphy comedies or, um, you know, uh, Bill Murray was a big influence on me as a young age. And I just loved watching my family, uh, just die with laughter at Mm. those, at those people and the charisma they had, the tenacity and the specificity and the freedom they had with their, with their work, especially Bill Murray was so, you know, captivating, um, Mm. that, uh, yeah, and once I got doing it, I just thought, man, I can keep this up. And I think for the first 10 years of my career, especially in like high school theater, it was all like, what would Bill Murray do in this scenario? What would, How do, how is this going to be funny? It's either you go Bill Murray or you go Steve Martin. And those were my big comedic influences when I was younger. But yeah. Uh, Do you, do you
0: fancy, uh, because obviously, well, primarily, I think of you as a serious actor and you've done a whole range of things, but would you like to step into like a Bill Murray role, something where you get to really
1: get into the comedy side of things? Oh, sure. I, yeah. I mean, that means, uh, you know, just like there's a, there's an effortless quality to the, to the work he did and, and, um, you know, to a lot of those guys back in the day, I was we were I, my parents would let let us stay up to watch Saturday Night Live. You know, another example of horrible parenting on their part. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, hey, we we made it out alive. There are yeah. there worse things. We felt love growing up, um, and uh, you know, uh, we had great. You know, you got to see the the best comedians in, on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'd jump at a chance to do something like that again. Um, yeah, but, you know, I just think my, uh, the, the serious work is, has taken off and, you know, but I, I think anytime you're doing a scenes, you know, you, you need to find levity in stuff like The Handmaid's Tale Mm -hmm. and you need to find depth in anything comedic. You need to find, you know, the nuance or the, the, the desperation of the characters. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the yeah. things I think I, I adapted early on was, you know, not to, uh, not to just to be loose, you know, to try and come at things as a filmmaker as opposed to the, the a serious actor trying to do great work. You know, if you come at it from the filmmaker standpoint, it's all about story and it's about where does this story go and how do we present it to people in an unusual way. And I think mm-hmm. you can do that in in acting you know if a, if a line is open-ended you can try it so many different ways and in a dramatic scene boy some of those some of the best scenes in uh, cinema and and television i think are moments that have some sort of strange comedy to mm, the tragedy 100%. yeah 100%. one of my favorite for for some reason this is sticking out but that there's a moment in the english patient um, that, uh, it's not
0: not a film I think for as I think at a comedic moment, no, but I'm sure there must no, be no <laughs> not a bit,
1: not a bit. So they're they're having their their sad goodbye under a bleachers, um, if I recall, and they have their goodbye. And Kristen Scott Thomas turns away from Ray Fiennes and smacks her head into a bar, and and then kind of you know kind of stuns her, and she looks over and and holds her head and keeps walking and it's such a strange moment but in in any other movie you'd think well of course we, we got, we're going to edit out the part or but that they put it in intentionally and kept it in i think it sells so much the specificity of a real moment you know mm-hmm. we we buy that moment because that is so much about you know the odd nature of 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 life you know mm-hmm. it is not exactly as it is on the page so
0: Definitely. I think some of the um, some of my favourite actors, they're able to bring, as you say, like, even if it is a dark character, a dark script, they're able to bring an element of comedy, no matter how dark the film or the script. Someone like Tom Hardy mm-hmm. is very good at bringing comedy to the darkest of moments. Um, yeah. And I think that just, it makes it, I, I don't know if you've seen, have you seen the film... Um, Oh, what's it called? Um, there's a, there's a prison drama with Jack O'Connell. Um, oh, I've the name of it. Um, oh, it's so annoying. Anyway, terrible reference because I can't remember the name of the film, but it's a very dark, <laughs> dark film. And there's just these moments, tiny little real moments in the film where something happens, you think, that is hilarious because it's so true and it's so real but this isn't the sort of film I thought they would allow that moment to happen. And when it does, the audience is fully with it. They're like, oh, wow, this feels real. It feels like a real emotion from these characters. Yeah. I'll have to remember yeah. that before I think that, the end of our that, that um, yeah, chat, because that's, that's going to kill me. I can't remember what it's called.
1: That's that's one of the things that you have to steer clear of, and I, I think we try to do a good job of. We try and stick to the story in The Handmaid's Tale and not try to get into what this means for culture in this moment because Mm. people can sniff out when you're trying to preach to them it just it stinks of um you know just like a like a a sermon and people Mm -hmm. go to church for sermons they don't they don't want to you know the second you try to educate people is the second they tune out you know Mm -hmm. i always think about that with my boys if i try to tell them a story and it's You know if it's about uh, some moral lesson the second you start to say hey this this is guys you got to listen up because this is why you shouldn't steal they're gonna be like okay dad and you know start picking Mm -hmm, their mm -hmm, nose and go mm -hmm. off and play in the backyard but if you tell a riveting story and you stay rooted into why it's fascinating and full of conflict and mystery and suspense you're gonna hold anybody's attention you know Mm -hmm so i try to take that into you know what what story are we building even as an actor you know what's necessary for this scene to help kind of spin spin a few more plates for uh for the audience where they're like oh man how are they going to get out of this well obviously you've written
0: scripts and you've also directed and i'm sure all of that comes into play when you're doing something like that mm-hmm. how did you like what was your reason for thinking oh, i'm going to write a feature
1: film like
0: what what kind of Urged you to do that.
1: Well, I was making movies with my buddy um, Jeff Stevens in in high school, who edited um, several seasons of The Mandalorian, and and he and I he was the director and the editor, and I would write these you know super heavy <laughs> things that w- these projects that we ended up shooting on VHS tape, and Jeff would you know edit them between two two VCRs. Mm. I mean, it was. Um pretty base, you know, but we took ourselves super seriously and i mm-hmm. and from that stage, it was always about okay how are we how are we crafting this? you know, how are we gonna build this in an interesting way and uh I've just always been rooted in that like i'm I'm always fascinated by I've seen great actors in in terrible, uninteresting movies, and i I I want to try to avoid that. So if it's if I'm going to come on to something even if it's you know and there've been projects I've done in the past where I'm like well the writing's not all the way there but maybe I can contribute in some some way that that uh gives some some more depth to what this is and um and uh yeah trying to be really specific about what those words mean uh mm. is is important. So luckily I trust the writing on you know, just like I trusted the writing on Parenthood, I trust the writer, the writers on The Handmaid's Tale, mm. uh, implicitly. Like they just uh, they know the story. I I they they know how to you know spin a good yarn and just get out of the way of the words and and try to help contribute in the way that you were hired <laughs> to contribute. <laughs> if you can add more to it, great. But you know, my my job uh, when I step on set as an actor is to help the director and to help the this the through line the spine is the story and if somebody is you know pulling too much weight or trying to unless you know unless it is their vision unless they wrote and, and are directing it you know we all have to come to the table to say what is the best way to do this and the director is yeah. going to figure that out but I can contribute as much as I can as an actor yeah
0: it must be nice when you've been in a show like the handmaid's tale since season 2 i believe and you you've been there that long and now you're an established character and you you, feel, you must feel like you're part of a family there um mm-hmm. and it's it's been going for many years now it's the kind of show where um i'd be concerned that i was going to be killed off at any moment i feel oh sure <laughs> um well, what's it like yeah. when you every every time a new season comes around and you're you're reading the scripts and you're thinking am I going to make it? Do you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, I I haven't thought too much about it because, you know, uh, I I feel like I'm uh, gambling with borrowed money at this point. That's the right expression for it. You know, just I didn't expect to be a series regular on this show. And the fact that I, you know, became more and more involved uh, is a just an honor. So if they kill me off at any point, I'll be like, Damn, that was a good run. (laughs) But again, you know, I, 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 if it if it works with the story, uh, kill me off. (laughs) You know, Uh, I got you know, I'm at the point where I'm 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 always looking for the next job. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I always have been, I guess. So it would, uh, you know, I think it's, I love that they have that freedom. You know. With mm-hmm. all with all of us. I you don't know, feel like, well, we gotta hold on to that character. Obviously, you know, it would be strange to kill off June Osborne. Um, you know. Uh that would be that would be jumping the shark quite a bit. Um in, in any episode before the finale or whatever. But mm-hmm. uh but all the rest of us, yeah, we're pretty uh you know, we're always on the chopping block. Mm-hmm. But but it's uh you know, it's it's a it's a work that you want to be a part of in any space. And I know that there are uh, actors who are like, man, I would kill to just have a walk-on role in that, which mm. is how I started. So uh, this That's is all insane. icing on the cake, you know.
0: That's amazing to have come in at, it, at that angle. And then as it goes, your character builds and builds and builds. What a treat that must be. I, I love that yeah. you um, use the the saying "jump the shark." I only recently actually found out where that came from, and I'm sure you already know. But it um, was, was an episode. Right. Was it an episode of episode of was it Cheers or was it Happy Days? Was it was it, Happy Days. It, yeah. Happy Days. Yeah. And he quite literally jumps a shark in the episode. Yeah. I I thought that was fascinating, and they, obviously people were like, uh, yeah. they've gone too far." No, it's, too, <laughs> it's too far. Yeah. yeah. And,
1: and what, what, what jumping that jumping the shark in that scene does is it it takes all the cool out of it's just so out of left field and not the show. And it made the show seem ridiculous and it made the character font the Fonz, who was the uh the coolest on television, all of a sudden kind of ridiculous. And so you always want to be like, okay, what's the moment where we're like Okay. And you're always, especially the further you get into a a show, it's hard not to repeat yourself or, you know, there were a couple of seasons, you know, people are like, I miss parenthood. I wish that kept going. And are you ever going to bring it back? And I always think, well, you're always in danger of just, you know, Mm -hmm. at least now it would be fresh, but we were in danger by season five of repeating ourselves. It's like, okay, well, he had an affair this season, she'll have an affair next season, he'll have an affair the following season. That's literally, you know, when you're doing 22 episodes and it's not a procedural, mm. you're gonna bump into stuff like that because mm. that's the stuff that keeps people watching. So, yeah.
0: Well, talking of um, Parenthood, you were in over a hundred episodes of that, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that's a pretty amazing feat to be in a hundred episodes of anything. But when a show like yeah. that for you comes to an end, um, what is that like? It must be like losing a hobby or it must be losing a major part of your life and then you're like, right, well, okay, oh, we're yeah. on to the next thing. How do you cope yeah. with that sort of situation?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was hard to say goodbye. It was time to say goodbye. Uh, and uh, I immediately was working. You know, I, I went from that to the next month I was shooting in New Zealand. Uh, you know, I was the Lead on a pilot that nobody will ever see the light of, you know, it will never see the light of day. And then I did another pilot right after that that will never see the light of day. So, uh, you know, I just thought, well, this is this has been great, but I got more work to do. And then, you know, I wasn't on television for a year and a half, just waiting for those two projects. And so, um, yeah, but the co- the coping with saying goodbye to the 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 family on that it was it was such a It was such a sweet, uh, finish to that show. We, we, I remember we went from like, Oh, we're wrapping out the Adam Braverman house. So we went over, you know, everybody would show up and watch the last scene at the Adam Braverman house. And we'll say, okay, now we're going to go to, you know, Zeke and Camille's house and we walk up the hill. It was like, it was like a, you know, we were journeying as a cast and crew from saying goodbye to everybody at at one Mm -hmm. stop to the next. And so. Um it was you know it's jason Kadams, um the creator that just uh empowered his crew and his cast in such a way that it was so hands off, but you know in a loving, supportive way, um in a lot of ways that uh you know it it's just uh it's it was a way of making uh t v and film that i had never seen you know Mm. to have you know to empower people by saying you know this is your thing i'm gonna let i'm gonna give you freedom to an extent but you know i'm gonna still you know when you go too far i'm gonna pull you back in to make sure we're still telling the right story but go out and have fun and it's your thing as much as it is mine Mm. that was a you know what a gift uh for jason to do that so i will always take that with me into any uh, production. I'm a part of
0: those sort of productions. I mean, they, you know, doing all these different jobs builds up a career. But it's the moments in between. I think for people that see you on TV and in films and stuff, they're watching you and they're going, "Wow, this is amazing! This is great!" But they don't see the downtime. They don't see they're being out of work, all the auditions you do and you don't get. Um, <laughs> also, all the prep. There's a lot of prep that no one ever sees you. You know, sees you doing. Um, how do you deal with those downtimes? And I'm sure now you're a seasoned veteran now there's fewer and fewer moments where you're out of work and you're you know trying to find that next job. But in the early days of your career, how did you kind of navigate that? How do you survive the, the droughts?
1: Well, it's interesting because now I'm in a different kind of uh, holding pattern. you know you you have uh, you know I, there are certain projects i, I I don't want to do anymore i've got i've got three kids here that i'm i'm trying to stay close to and be a part of their life and help you know uh you know help raise them and be a part of that and so there's if it's going to pull me away from home it's got to be good and the result of the you know the the side effect of that is i'm I'm, I'm home a lot more because i'm turning down you know things won't even uh cross my desk because my that my agent my manager know he's he's not going to do this you know he wants to mm. you know it's got to be something good and so i i w- when something good does come i still put myself on tape and i still audition usually or occasionally and uh, you know i still get rejected so that's mm. uh you know i mean reject it's too hard a word it, it you know the, i i think i've made peace with i know what the game is you know it's just mm. Putting putting all your heart and soul into something, and then putting it on tape or meeting people, and then mm. pretending pretending it never happened, um, <laughs> or or you know, and taking the lessons that uh, that you can from it.
0: Mm.
1: So Yeah, being able to
0: sort of do something like a tape or an audition, and then just walk out as if it it's never happened. And I, I do find myself muttering the lines to myself like a lunatic after i've done the audition i'm like why am i still trying to remember the lines or still going over them and it's it's definitely something where you should just it's done leave yeah. it behind and then move on to the next thing um
1: yeah that's but that's also valuable that's in. also i've i've done that many times where i've left an audition or put something on tape and sent it off and then thought oh hell oh man I know that, 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 uh, that intention wasn't quite right. Um, there's a great story I'm going to butcher. Uh, I'll probably get the people wrong, but I believe it was Danny DeVito told a story about, um, oh man, he's just like an all-time legendary director. Um, uh, Billy, was it? Billy, uh, Billy Wilder, maybe. Okay. And yeah, which seems like a strange pairing, but um, he was talking. Billy Wilder was talking to Danny DeVito. He said, uh, um, "Where are you? Where do you shoot? Uh, where do you shoot that show that you're on?" He said, "Oh, we shoot it over at the Paramount lot." And he goes, "Oh, the Paramount lot. When you leave that that lot and you exit, do you go right or left?" He goes, "Oh, I go left." He goes, "Oh, so you go down Melrose. Do you pass? There's a flower shop on Vine." Do you pass that flower shop that's on the right side? And Danny goes, Yeah, I know the flower shop you're talking. To. He goes, Billy Welder said, that that uh, that flower shop has a lot of meaning to me. And Danny DeGido said, Why? And he said, Because every time I pass that flower shop, I think that's how I should have directed that scene today. Huh. Uh, and I just uh, think that's just a testament to like, you know you mm. you always think, oh, when when it's when the pressure's off, it it immediately, you know, mm. snaps in like, oh shoot, that's why I, I should, that's how I should have played that, or that's mm. what that moment needed. Um, but I think it's you know having that curiosity, that tenacity. I think it's okay to to revise and assess how something mm. could go better. Um, but then I think you do need to let it go because you know uh otherwise you know we just bludgeon ourselves to death mm. in misery if we if we're like man i should have got that role there's been there's a there's been a lot of a lot of those in uh in my career <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are or
0: where you are in your career as you say i think you're always going to have that oh maybe i could have done this or done that I've done it differently the intention sure. there. That, and it's nice to hear that you know you have that, and then you know Billy Wilder, and, and you know it's it's funny how everyone goes through that, but it's not really talked about so much, um, and it can uh-huh. happen at any point in the game as well.
1: Yeah, I remembered yeah.
0: the name of that film, by the way. The name what? of that film. Um, oh, hang on, no, I had it in my head. It's I had gone it just then, and it just <laughs> literally went.
1: I got time.
0: Starred up. The name Start of the up. film with Jack O'Connell, startup. up. It's a um, it's a prison movie set in England, um, and it's it's a great film. But it's not a film that you imagine there's any sort of comedy in. But there are some really funny moments that because they mm-hmm. come out so left field, they shock you so much that you the audience was howling with laughter. And I walked oh, out of the so cinema brilliant. thinking, not a film I imagined that I would laugh once in. Um, and the trailer doesn't give any of that away as well, but it's a fantastic yeah. film. You should give it a watch if you get a chance. Oh, but... cool. Start up. I'll, I'll so check I just out. remembered it then and I was like, I have to mention it. <laughs> um, I'd like to ask, with the film that you wrote and directed, Take Me Home, did you, writing that, did you write it as a spec script or was it something where you knew that you were going to be able to get it made? What was the process with with um, getting that film off the ground and obviously casting yourself as one
1: of the main characters? Yeah. What a dumb move.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I,
1: uh, I, yeah, I wrote it, I wrote it, uh, out of, out of, I was writing a really arduous complex indie musical at the time with, uh, a friend of mine and we were just beating ourselves to death, trying to get it right. And, and it was just all these storylines. And I went to go shoot a gig in, um, Uh, Nova Scotia and I was sitting there one night walking around town and I thought oh what about something simple what if I just made a story about a woman who gets into a cab and drives across the United States what is that you know and then I thought well that seems easy and I went and wrote the first 16 pages that night and then of course spent the next year and a half trying to make it (laughs) really good um and uh and and I I think that process was i i i went out to all these different people to try and produce it we got close one year producers backed out at the last second and then um i found this woman who uh who named jane kosek who is part of uh um who's been a long time collaborator with me ever since and jane just kind of said you know hey whatever how about whatever money we can get that's what we make this movie with and we didn't have enough money to make the movie. We had enough movie uh, enough money to start the movie. We could travel across the country and shoot the exterior scenes, but we didn't have enough to for a, you know, for locations and stuff. So uh, that's what we did. We had chump change uh, to you know drive across the United States. We had a crew of five or six people, and we shot. New York and Pennsylvania Ohio all the way you know Iowa Utah uh, and uh, and then we shot the next half we shot a bunch of pickup scenes uh, like the other half of the movie the next summer in uh, in LA and and the surrounding areas and so we just kept piecing it together and so it took probably two and a half yeah, it took probably a year and a half to shoot, just to shoot, wow. you know, just because you're running out of money. And I also had to go back to work on a project here in LA. So, you know, after that first summer shoot, we spent, you know, six months with me working and trying to figure out, okay, how do we scrounge up enough funds to finish this? So we made it work and, and uh, yeah, it was a labor of love. It's funny mm-hmm. because I, I, I often think, you know, by the time we we were done shooting it it was not what i it was not who i was so to speak i would have done something a little more a little darker or a little more complex and but i love it for what it is it's a it's a simple movie it it was meant to be nothing as a but a, a a romantic comedy with just some a little more depth to it than the traditional romantic comedy and and I think we succeeded in that and I'm, I'm proud of it. It's one of those, you know, one of those things that you let go out into the world and say, man, I, we did our best. And uh, makes mm. a beautiful little story. So. That's
0: amazing that you showed it over such a long period of time. I, um, I watched the trailer earlier today and um, it actually struck me straight off how well shot it was. And it looks, I, I'm mm. going to give it a watch. It looks great. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm amazed that it was shot over such a long period of time. I obviously haven't seen it yet, yeah. but it doesn't, you know, that's that's yeah. mad. Um, yeah, it's so I love our, like that. our
1: cinematographer, yeah, was was kind of untested. He's he's he shoots a lot of. Uh, he's the DP on a lot of uh, big TV shows now, but uh, yeah, he was just tenacious and and was willing to, you know, like all the like all this amazing crew that I just love and I'm so indebted to. They just said, hey. Yeah, we're we're game. You know, let's go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jesse Feldman, the, the cinematographer, is a big part of the, the, the reason that looks better than it should for as little money as we had. We shot on the red camera, a beta version of the very first red camera. Like, it uh-huh. was, yeah. And we were shooting in, like, 100-degree weather in the desert. And, you know, it, it was a, a miracle we ended up getting the footage that we did just knowing like this thing could fall apart at any second but mm-hmm. uh, it's a testament to the red company that they they were able to build that because the year before the, the best camera that was out there you just watch it and you think yeah it doesn't quite it's not cinema it doesn't feel like mm-hmm. it's not there yet and that was the first camera that felt like oh it, you could uh, you could you could pull it off mm-hmm. so uh, do you have anything else that
0: you've written that you're hoping to direct or anything on the cards that way and not only in the acting but in, in behind the camera
1: yeah well i think i think directing um for television is is in the future and um if i'm lucky enough to get that opportunity um i'm working on a a, a, a tv series now that i'm uh, i've just been writing with a uh writing partner of mine that's uh, a kind of a noir, um, I guess you'd call it a noir, uh, Midwest uh, thriller, which is kind of a strange uh, subcategory, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fun to just, I that's the hard part about, you know, I came home from shooting the last season of May's Tale, and I've just been gone from my kids for so long that I've just been trying to stay home and, and, and be with them as much as possible. But the second I take him to school, I start thinking, all right, Sam, what's next? What, what's, and, and the what's next changes because in my twenties, it was like a desperate, like, I got to do something, anything. And now I'm, now I think I got to do something, but it's got to matter to me and it's gotta, it's gotta feel like I'm contributing something, you know? And so I, um, I, I think a lot more about that than I ever have. And also, you know, I don't have the time. I don't have the time to say, you know, what if I spend a year and a half on this? You know, I just, I have a few mm. hours a day to think, okay, what is the purest way to tell this story? And so mm. I think having kids and, and uh, knowing mm. I'm going back to Amy's Tale next summer um, makes it that finite time. It it creates an urgency that I I like to have.
0: Mm. Mm is there anything you mentioned it briefly there in terms of the um, Handmaid's Tale is there anything you can say about the next series I know it's a way off we've only just had the last series come out in September but is there anything you can tease for the, for the next season that's coming
1: well, without I being I shot I mean, you know no I, I the, the good news is I I uh I kind of come at the seasons like a fan does you know I, I don't want to I don't want to find out anything until they send me the script, and then uh, I can open the pages. And I remember seeing where this season started, uh, reading those first two episodes, and thinking, "Oh man, oh son of a bitch, they did it again." I don't know how they're making you know they just keep turning the screw here, and uh, and um, so I'm I'm just a fan of the. The, the the whole staff you know Bruce Miller and the gang and I can't wait to see it I'll be as surprised as you are just a few months <laughs> before you
0: <laughs> <laughs> amazing that Sam thank you so much for doing this and I, I want to finish uh I want to finish on a high um hopefully a, yeah. a, a funny note I want to ask you do you have a moment that you would be willing to share us maybe maybe a, a casting story or an on-set embarrassment something that you can you can tell us that was excruciating and horrific.
1: Hmm. <laughs> Something, I mean, I've embarrassed myself in public so many times, so I don't know, if maybe it's, what would it be? Uh, <clears throat> here's a humiliating story. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I... <laughs> that's uh, always a good way to start. I, that's always a good way to, I'll regret this immediately. Uh, so... <laughs> My, my wife is terrible with, like, knowing actors' names and being a part of the industry. She'll be like, oh, who's that actor? And what's he? You know, like, oh, what's it?" Just kind of outside of the, blissfully outside of the, the industry. And uh, I'm a little more connected, but still pretty clueless. And uh, um, I remember loving um, uh, Michael Clayton. And I'm thinking Tony Gilroy was such an amazing uh, did such an amazing job writing that thing. just what a what a voice. And uh, I went to a some sort of event shortly at the at the end of Parenthood, and I met Tony Goldwyn and thought he was the same person because my manager was like, "Listen, I want you to have a career like Tony Goldwyn where you can act and direct. And when he said that to me I thought, "Oh, I connected Tony Goldwyn with Tony Gilroy." and thought they were the same person and then and, and uh and so in the back of my mind I was like, "Oh yeah, that's who they are." So when I met Tony Goldwyn I said, he said, "Well, I'm a big fan of your show." And I said, "Oh, I'm a I'm a big fan of yours." And and uh, uh just uh by the way, I love your writing." He said, "I I don't write." I said, "No?" I thought you I thought you wrote. And he goes, no, never written. Nope. I don't know what you're talking about. And it was, oh, <laughs> and oh, it, it nice. was just the, the two of us. Oh, and Erica, Chris, and my wife on Parenthood, the three of us were there just kind of like, huh. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, anyway, great uh, great seeing you. And um, let's go get some more d'oeuvres. Oh, oh. Right. You're like Not I'm still a big
0: fan. I'm still a big fan.
1: <laughs> yeah. Nevertheless, oh, let me recap. I'm still a big fan. Whatever the hell you do, I'm a fan <laughs> of that. I'm a fan of that. Oh man. Oh, well.
0: that's awful. But so now, it does, now it makes the, the truth right. is, I'm
1: a fan of I'm a fan of Tony Goldwyn and Tony Gilroy. I get to be a fan of two guys instead of just one. So <laughs> what...
0: uh, that's so awkward as well because it's like. It's like you just didn't know who he was at all, as if you're you're just saying I'm a big fan and you're hoping he doesn't kind of elaborate yeah. and but you actually no. genuinely are a I fan, went specifically into
1: yeah, yeah. And so I was like, Well, I am a fan. So what how do we get out of this moment? This is so <laughs> awkward. But again, those oh, are no. see, those are the moments that I live for. My, I have a buddy, uh, my buddy Mike Hobert, who's a, a writer. He always loves those moments of sheer bizarre awkward tension. You know, for him, and this is so specific, but he's, like, I love that moment, like, when, when somebody's, like, chewing somebody out, you know, like, getting pissed at them and, you know, laying into somebody, and they either trip or they, like, step into a large <laughs> shaft of sunlight. Like, yeah, and you can best. just see that moment when it just, like, deflates the whole tension and, you know, I don't, it's so specific, but I know that moment you know mm-hmm. and uh and i and i created one of those i'm i'm proud to say <laughs> that's perfect sam thank you
0: so much this has been a real no, pleasure such, and um, such a pleasure, i'll man. let you get back on with your day whatever you've been up to but um yeah it's been a it's been a real pleasure thank you
1: thank you uh, i've so enjoyed it and best great luck you to too your man. Career. thank you All so right. much uh,
0: thank you to our guest sam and thank you to rogers and cohen agency Season six of the Hadmain's Tale will air in 2023. Please review and share this podcast. It makes a huge difference. Or also on Patreon, TikTok, and Instagram if you'd like to support us and get more content. Thank you. It's alive from fail.
1: to a life and fail oh, oh. To